The Dr. Chris Griffin Show, Season 1, Episode 24, The Season Finale. Honesty is the first chapter in the Book of Wisdom. Now, who said that? Welcome to the Dr. Chris Griffin Show, your resource for leveraging systems and technology to ease your workload, increase productivity, and provide you with the time off you deserve to live the life of your dreams. It's time to practice productivity and the passionate pursuit of a better life with your host, Dr. Chris Griffin. The doctor is in. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Dr. Chris Griffin, and welcome to season one's finale, right? It has been a wonderful ride with you guys. I have really and truly enjoyed this season that began all the way back at the beginning of 2016, and uh, I just I just want to thank you guys. I have been amazed at how many people actually take the time to listen to this podcast, uh, and so uh, I am certainly I feel blessed about it. And just want to just first thing off the top of my head, want to thank you guys. Uh, now the quote 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 we just talked about that's from none none other than our amazing founding father Thomas Jefferson. Okay. Now, I know you might think when you're talking about truth, maybe we should be talking about George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or something like that. But uh, no, it's Thomas Jefferson. He said that. And the reason that I segued from that into today's episode, right, is because I wanted today's season finale to be extra special. And one thing that I found that, uh, that I think makes this extra special is I have sat down and I've thought long and hard about what's really true in our industry, right? So we've had a lot of episodes lately about different things like save the profession, uh, all kinds of stuff. I just wanted to get really clear-headed. And so I sat down with my, yeah, I, would, I would like to say a pencil and a piece of paper, pen, something like that, but no, uh, not even my iPad Pro. This was, uh, this was on a long ride I had to take somewhere and I pulled out the note application on my iPhone. But hey, it works just as well as a notepad and pen. But I came up with seven things that I really think are true about our industry today. And there's no disputing this, guys. They're true, okay? You can argue me all day long. You're going to lose that argument because they're true, right? But I had to come up with them, and so we came up with seven things. And so I think they're really powerful things. I can't wait to get to them. Before I get to that, I just wanted to give a shout-out and a thanks also to my good friends who are hosting a really special event that's upcoming uh, in January in Nashville, Tennessee. They actually invited me to be there, and I guess you guys are in part a big part of me being invited, right? It's the Voices of Dentistry, uh, World's First Dental Podcaster Live CE Summit, right? It's in Nashville, January 27th and 28th. That's 2017, January 2017. Uh, it's going to be in an awesome little hotel right across the street from the Opryland Hotel uh, the, of fame that a lot of people who've been to Nashville have been there to the Opryland Hotel. Across the street, just right across, is a is a new uh, uh, a rebuilt hotel that's really awesome. I just went and had dinner there to kind of check out the hotel myself a couple of weeks ago. It's great. It was really fun. My waitress, uh, a friend of mine and I, our waitress, had been waiting on us all night, and then she hops up on stage with a guitar and belts out an amazing, like, Leanne Rhymes song, and then puts her guitar down and goes back to serving tables, right? So it's just, it's a really cool place. You guys will really enjoy it if you come. 
uh, I just wanted to give those guys a shout out. It's uh, it's being put on by the uh, the Dental Hacks guys. If you I mean, a lot of you guys probably listen to their podcast, probably uh, obviously more than listen to my podcast because heck, they're number one in our industry. Um, everybody else is a distant number two, but it's being put on by those guys. Dr. Alan Mead, uh, Dr. Mark Costas is involved in this thing. Um, so anyway, everybody who, uh, who gets an opportunity should check that out next January. You will probably have a blast. Anyway, today, let's talk about today, uh, because today is all about seven truths in our industry. So what are those truths, guys? Um, there are a few things, and, and I got to admit, some of these are a little bit negative. I don't like to be negative. I like to be positive. I'm Mr. Positive, but the first truth that I'm going to lay down on you is that the insurance game out there is getting ridiculous. I don't know how many people have noticed that. And, and if you're one of those lucky dentists who um, has a practice where they don't have to deal with insurance, hey, buddy, more power to you. I, I'm in love with that concept. Uh, I don't know that it's, uh, it's it's just pure fantasy for me at this point, but I, I am certainly uh, willing to say that I think you have an amazing um, type practice if you can practice that way. Most of us out there cannot do that, okay? It's just not one of those things that's going to really ever be possible for the average general dentist. But uh, why is this? Why has it gotten so ridiculous? I don't know. When I started practicing uh, in 1998, private practice, nearly 20 years ago now, I mean, I know for a fact, I remember the plans. There were a couple of plans out there that paid 100% on fillings, they never asked for proof of anything. I mean, they just trusted you, to be honest, right? You know, they paid timely. Uh, insurance was really a, a boon for dentists. I think even from the golden age, you hear stories about dentists in the 70s really liking it, the 80s really liking it. I guess they started to pinch you a little bit in the 80s maybe, but in the 90s started to pinch you a little bit harder. But, you know, so what? We came up with cosmetic dentistry, blew the doors off with that. Hey, no big deal. Uh, but this millennium, hey, it's gotten tough out there, and it's getting tougher every day. I have to tell you, I didn't know how tough it had gotten. Uh, I really think, you know, after my practice burned down, I lost my longtime insurance um, collections type employee, and she'd been with me since the beginning, 1999. And I really, now that I know that we've had to train other people for her position, I think I know why she quit. She didn't quit because she didn't like us. I think she quit because... Gee whiz, that's a hard job, you know, and the fact she was retirement age, but that is a hard job, guys. Uh, insurance collections, that is ridiculous. They will deny just about anything. Recently, I'll share with you a little anecdote. Recently, uh, I was doing, um, I did a, an MLI, or I call it LI, you know. Some people say ML, like mesolingual. I don't know why at Tennessee we said LI for lingual. So it sounds a little weird, but in my practice, an MLI resin is just the mesial surface, the lingual surface. And and there was a, between eight and nine, it was a, it was a little, you know, the x-ray showed a nice little etch. Um, it showed it going into the dentin. Uh, the, the, an intraoral camera photo from behind the tooth showed the, you know, the brown stain shining through approximately. You know, it wasn't huge, but it's there. Uh, it's a, probably be a great board filling. And uh, anyway, we turn it in, you know. They asked for the x-ray, send the x-ray, denied, you know, first denial. Well, my people sent it back in for a, an appeal without even asking me about it, you know. Hey, that's fine. No big deal. Uh, so they do that. 
And uh, the second time denied, you know, and then this is like, hey, you can't appeal anymore, but we, unless you write this letter. So they show it to me finally. Well, I print off another x-ray, draw on it, draw a circle. Hey, uh, you know, you know, and the reason they denied it, they said that they didn't cover fillings for ab fractions or abrasions. Okay, well, hey, this is an approximate decay, guys. So I drew a circle, you know, denied again a third time. Man, I got ticked off uh, this last time. And so I like sent a, a certified green, you know, those green mailback postcards, certified letter. I mean, I printed out all the photos, blew them up as big as I could on photo paper, uh, did all this stuff, and, uh, <laughs> you know, drew, wrote little notes, wrote little mean, smart alecky notes on there. You know, I don't see how this is possibly abrasion. Obviously, this is an approximal decay, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it, that's what it took, guys, to pay a one, well, what was it, $172 per filling, something like that. That's what it took to get that paid for two fillings. Uh, finally, what was it? Uh, I guess fourth time is the charm, and and that's that's where we're headed. They want to win the war of attrition with us. That's just what they would like to do. Uh, and if they can win this war of attrition, they will uh, wear us down, right? Just wear us down to where we just give up. Now, that's just the way that is right now. Uh, sad, but that's just the way it is. Okay, uh, what is the second thing that is true that we can count on without a shadow of a doubt? And possibly, hey, this links back to number one. Uh, I don't think that public trust, it's just not what it used to be. Uh, Obamacare has is, is really, in my opinion, confused the public about the relationship between the patient, the doctor, and the insurance companies. Uh, maybe the, maybe that one of the reasons the insurance companies, well, at least one they give, is that they're so hard to deal with now is that there's a lot of rampant fraud out there, and they have to protect their their members. Well, this is just, that's just a load of hockey. Now, I don't, I don't doubt that there are some unscrupulous dentists out there kind of breaking the law, and I, and I hope that you're not, no, no I'm, yeah, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're not a guy that cuts corners, right? You're out there, you're digging in and you're trying to do what's right and, and find ways to do better, faster, bigger, stronger, but you're not trying to cut corners and be a bad guy. Uh, I'm sure there are people like that out there. And, and, but I will say this, the insurance companies, they try at every turn to make it appear that you as the dentist are the bad guy. Recently, I'll give you another anecdote. Uh, recently, we have had an instance where uh, there's a state program that's uh, is split into two pieces. Now every state's not this way, uh, but some states have different pools of money that they give. Anyway, Mississippi we have Chips and Medicaid, and um, Chips is for people that make a little bit more money, but not a lot. Medicaid's for people that don't make nearly as much. Uh, and, and and we've had a we've had a rash of people that have been flipped from the chips program to medicaid for no apparent reason and the reason that's a problem is that you know there's just not nearly as many providers for medicaid as there are for chips and so the state of mississippi i guess is trying to make this great claim that they're providing all this insurance for all these people that need it and truthfully what's happening is they're just in in token it's just a token thing they're saying they have it truthfully they don't have usable insurance because they can't find a place that takes it readily you know obviously there are places but it's tough and if you go to a medicaid clinic you're going to be on a waiting list for a while more than likely it's just the way it is because reimbursements are not great uh, and it's just there's a whole host of reasons 
but yeah, I mean, it, it, and and then they, you know, the state, then they, this real confusing, like they don't call it Medicaid. They call it all these other fancy made up names that really are Medicaid, but they try to make it appear that, you know, you as the dentist uh, are the one with the problem when truthfully they flipped the patient's insurance coverage and you just see it all the time and EOBs, you know, they try to use wording that sort of implies that you as the dentist are just not, not on the up and up. It's your fault. You left something out. You didn't do something right. You did this. You did that. You know, they can't say it's the patient's fault. They remember, they say it's the dentist's fault. They don't say it's their fault, right? They say it's your fault. And I guess also the decade of the 90s and the early 2000s when a lot of dentists were probably trying to do big, huge cosmetic cases that maybe didn't know how to do them right or probably were encouraged to do big cases when maybe they shouldn't have been done. Uh, that hurt the public's image of us. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know when this happened. I'm sure there was a tipping point to coin Malcolm Gladwell, but um, truthfully, it's just not what it was. The public trust is just not there. And maybe it too. A lot of it has to do with corporate dentistry. We've lost a lot of that interpersonal relationship. When you go to a clinic and it's just a revolving door of young doctors trying to get out of debt, it's just not the same as seeing Sally and Doctor Joe down the street. So that is the second truth. The public trust is just not what it once was. The third truth, and this has been, you know, just read your ADA news. <laughs> I like to look at those graphs they have. Uh, patient visits are down. They're just not what they used to be. Now, what is the reason? I don't know exactly that anyone has a 100% grip on it. Uh, you know, from the days of the old Pepsodent commercials, people have gone to the dentist twice a year, every six months to get their checkups. I just don't know the values there. You see all these you know, statements from our own organizations saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't have x-rays, but every so often. Uh, you shouldn't have them every year, maybe every three years, stuff like that. And, it, you know, stuff like that confuses the public. They're, you know, more distrustful because of all the other reasons we just talked about. Now maybe they're a little bit confused, and it just all boils down to, you know, there's no come as often. And where I come, where I live, it's been that way for a long time. It's getting worse. People don't generally come for their cleanings. They'll come when something hurts them. And while, you know, hey, while the, uh, while the cows are coming to the barn, let's make, let's get the hay out and let's go ahead and have hygienists available. We do that a lot to try to make sure if they come in with a toothache, unless it's a real problem where they don't need to have it, we try to encourage them to go ahead and get their checkup, cleaning stuff, um, if that's appropriate, while they're there. Because if you don't get them while they're there, you may not have another shot at them for quite a while, right? And uh, and I've always encouraged people to do same-day dentistry. You know, that's more true now than it's ever been. Uh, people, if they get to your office through all the other host of reasons why they might not show up, you better darn well sure make, make sure that you're offering as many same-day services as you can uh, that do not, you know, that don't hamstring the, the proper treatment of the patient. But Go ahead and get as much done as you can while they're there. Uh, today, we did a Syrac crown somebody that while they were there, worked in somebody that else that came in for a toothache into hygiene while they were there. Uh, it's just things you really have to think about and have to do. Uh, and it's really a good service. It certainly helps. I think it helps the doctor-patient relationship when you can help them out and, you know, hey, while you're here, I know you, it was really an effort to get off work or while you're on fall break, let's go ahead and get this knocked out. I think they really appreciate it. Okay, what's the fourth thing that's true? The fourth thing, dentist income is down. I was recently forwarded another graph out of the ADA News that showed that uh, that dentist net income 
had been on the slow, steady decline for almost the past decade. You know, it really has been. And I can tell you the price of milk uh, has not gone down in that last seven or eight years. But apparently our net income has. And I think a lot of it has to do with those patient visits that are down, right? It's just, uh, it's just, it's just one of those things. If people aren't coming in, you don't have the ability to lay eyeballs on their teeth, diagnose stuff. And if you can't diagnose it, there's no chance to get case acceptance. If you don't get case acceptance, you can't pick up your drill and start working. So that's just as simple as it gets. And maybe this stuff just sort of plays off. It just sort of cascades down um, all the way from the public trust aspect. But dentist income is down um, proportionately to everything else there. And inflation is certainly going up. So I think that's a that's another bad thing. Um, that's a very bad thing. Now, before you get too depressed, I will say that there are, this is the fifth thing that's true, because I've just seen it recently. I did some fill-in work uh, at a dental office in a town that's way more affluent than where I'm from. Okay, it's just it just is more affluent. And, um, and so I will say that, you know what? It's all not, it's not all gloom and doom. There are some pockets of the dental populations that exist where you can practice insurance free and you can do high end services and stuff like implants and things like that. Uh, And people will pay for it out of pocket, but they are very limited. So if you're getting out of school and maybe you're working off debt in a corporate clinic and you're like, I cannot wait for the day. I cannot wait for the day when I get out of this place hang my own shingle, and practice the way I've always wanted. Well, you know what? You can do that. Uh, but if you do that, you better be ready. You need to be like a fellow of some sort of implant organization. You probably need to consider a microscope for your endo. You probably need to have a CIRIC at your disposal. Um, you know, these are all the high-tech things those people are going to expect. If you're planning on doing that kind of dentistry, uh, and it, it can be done, and it can be profitable, but you just need to understand you're going to get yourself in quite a bit of debt on the front end if you approach it that way. And I don't like that. I never like to accumulate debt, especially without a proven concept. So what if you think you can do that kind of dentistry like I did way back in 1999? And truthfully, you can't because of your area. Now, what are you going to do? You're just going to pick up and move your wife, kids, everybody else after three or four years are you going to buckle down and, and let all that equipment sit in the corner while you're paying a note on it and you actually just do bread and butter dentistry like you were doing at the corporate office? Think these things through, guys. If if you want to practice like that guy that everybody knows that has the amazing practice, the high-tech stuff that everybody would like to do, just know that there is a, there's a lot of skin to put in the game and you better know uh, what you need to you know, know what you're looking for from the very outset. Okay? Um. The sixth thing that is true, as insurance companies push back against simple procedures like crowns and other general dental things that have been done forever without question, general dentists, uh, we're just going to have to search for, for income elsewhere. Now, what are some of those things you can do? There's a term that, that I've, I did a program last year with a, a Dr. Bob Willis uh, from Tulsa and, and a a concept we came up with was advanced services. That's what we called it. Anything that's not just mainstream bread and butter, we called advanced services. That would be like implants, braces, uh, sleep apnea stuff, all that kind of stuff. That's an advanced service. And those are where your income is going to need to come from. 
as the normal stuff drops off because people, if, they, well, if they're going to stop accepting your recommendations for crowns, a lot of the reason because insurance companies are going to give so much trouble to pay for it, right, then you need income from somewhere. Uh, where are you going to find it? You need to find something they might pay for and um, that costs enough that, you know, hey, it's worth my time to learn how to do and do well. And, and those things, um, we call them advanced services. And that that's just something that's going to happen. If you want your practice to stay at the level it's at or grow, and, and something's taken away, you have to add from somewhere. And I think that somewhere is going to be in the realm of advanced services. Okay? And that leads me into the seventh thing that is true. Okay? Uh, a turf war with specialists is likely inevitable. Just let that sink in. I, I love my specialists. I love them. They're great guys. Okay. The periodontist I refer to, amazing guy. The oral surgeon I refer to the most, I think he's the best oral surgeon I've ever met in my life. I don't think there's a better one around. Uh, apologies to all my other buddies who are oral surgeons. <laughs> you guys are awesome too. Uh, but, but I just think it's inevitable. Like, you gonna, you know, hey, if it used to be that oral surgeons got rich off pulling simple teeth, you know, pulling simple teeth, they don't get those anymore because the general dentists are pulling all the simple ones. They're getting all the really hard ones, the impacted thirds, and all that stuff, right? And so the oral surgeons can't love that. They they gotta wish that there was some kind of law in place where all extractions had to run through them, or at least they had to give approval for a general dentist to do it, right? I mean, that would be what I would like if I were a fancy specialist who spent you know, however many more years of my life after post-dental school to, to get that fancy degree, sometimes an MD and a DDS, uh, I would want that. Uh, look at implants. Good grief. Uh, from all indications, the implants were started by general dentists, right? Uh, but quickly, because of the surgery aspect, oral surgeons jumped in, hey, this is our procedure. Everybody else, back off. Uh, prosthodontists hey they're pretty quick into the game too hey guys uh these things are not going to work if there's not properly balanced occlusion you guys back off uh and endodontists endodontists say this is their procedure i mean is there a group out there that does not claim implants as being their own deal i don't know who it is but you know maybe public health (laughs) i have no idea but everybody seems to want to claim dental implants it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, that is probably going to happen. Everything. Look at GP Ortho. GP Ortho. Um, admittedly, very difficult to learn, right? But if you put in the time and effort, absolutely doable for simple cases. Class ones, simple class twos. Uh, GPs need to know their limitations. Obviously, you better be a heck of a GP orthodontist. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're not orthodontist. You better be a heck of a GP who does ortho if you're going to attempt class threes and stuff like that, right? It can be done. It is always the exception to the rule, but it's not that hard to learn how to do class ones and simple class twos, right? You just need to know a few mechanics, have a few, have a few little uh, trick appliances up your up your sleeve, and off you go. And that's actually something that is very good for a lot of general practices to incorporate is GP ortho. Um, it's easier in my opinion, than getting into implants and probably cheaper 
Uh, but you just need to know your limitations. Just like on anything else, right? Uh, I used to not be good at pulling teeth, so I referred all my extractions to the oral surgeons. That's probably why they liked me so much at first. Then I went on a mission trip to Mexico, pulled teeth for a week in a concrete hut, 110 degrees, and I got a lot better. And I came home and I started pulling a lot more teeth in America. And, um, you know, it's just your level of comfort, uh, your level of, of professionalism, making sure that you're doing a good job for the patients. And a lot of specialists right now are not really feeling the pinch as bad. So they're going to be okay, agreeable with you doing stuff. But, hey, you know, there will probably come a day when they sort of subtly or not so subtly tell you to back off. Uh, you know, pedo, that's an area a lot of GPs hate. But, hey, these numbers start crunching much worse. We're going to start pulling out the old uh, the, the old uh, forming pliers and start doing our own stainless steel crowns and pulpotomies, right? It's just one of those things. Right now, pedo kind of has a monopoly because everybody hates dealing with, you know, screaming kids. Uh, but the day may be coming soon where that's not the case, and then there will probably be a turf war there too. So just get ready. The turf wars are inevitable. Just just try to be as friendly, professional as you possibly can be and try to look at the side of the specialist. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. I've gotten pretty good at extracting teeth, but I still send a fair amount of stuff to the oral surgeons just because I want to have a good relationship with them in case there comes a day when I really need them. I want them to be my friend, and you know, I want them to know that there's give and take. And I think that's what you need to do uh, with anything you do, right? Do what you need to do for your practice, but at the same time, have enough sense to help everybody out so that there is kind of a rising tide lifting all ships. There's a great section in this book called Atlas Shrugged. It's a book by uh, Ayn Rand from about 100 years ago. She was, uh, her dad, I think, was a refugee from the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia or something like that. And so she had heard her whole life these stories about how capitalism got, you know, squished over in Russia. And uh, there's a part of the book where, yeah, and it's kind of, hey, it's kind of scary because it's kind of like America today, right? Capitalism is kind of on the ropes. And there was a there was a, an amazingly successful uh, businessman in the book, and he had a steel plant. He made, I think his name was Henry Reardon. He made Reardon Steel. It's like, the, you know, they invented it. It's like what all the trains started using. for. Anyway, he was super rich, super famous businessman. But the government came in, they took away his factory, which was situated on one of the Great Lakes up north. And, um, you know, he, they just ran him off. And they thought they could make his steel just as well as anybody else. So they get in there and they have all kinds of trouble. Uh, but one of the things that remind, I remembered was the shipping story. So, you know, they they're, they're figure they're going to ship instead. He used to ship part most, you know, 75% of his product uh, by rail. And 25%, he would actually ship by um, these carriers on the Great Lakes that had these big boats. And people would ask him before the government took over his business why he did that, because the shipping costs were higher. There's no doubt he could have cut some percentage points, cut some costs, um, if he just did away with the shipping aspect and went totally by rail. So one of the first things the government could, you know, the, 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 the cutters, they come in and they start slashing all the overhead in their opinion. So they say, okay, we're going to do away with the shipping aspect. So they start shipping all their steel by rail. Well, guess what happens? At some point, uh, the, the uh, America starts to fall apart a little bit. Well, the railways get shut down, but people still need the steel. 
And it's really important that the steel gets made and the steel gets shipped to keep the government kind of propped up or there's going to be like this giant revolt. And so they're like, oh, no, what do we do? Oh, wait, I think I remember that Mr. Reardon used to ship some by boat uh, in the Great Lakes. So let's let's call them up and let's use them now that we're in this huge emergency. And so they call them up. Nobody answers. Why? They're out of business. They're out of business because they didn't have anything to ship. So they went out of business. They're not there to help now. And so the whole thing just implodes. And, uh, and the whole reason was because they didn't have enough sense to keep feeding a backup plan, a contingency plan. And I think if you're smart, you'll always feed your specialist. You know, be smart about what you It's not like, hey, I can do this. I'm going to do all of it or this or that. You know, it's about the patient first. But a lot of times, if it's all just as well for the patient, go ahead and send your specialist some stuff that's not just the most gosh-awful stuff in the world to do. Like, you want them to be your buddy, if, uh, if you can be. Now, I'm saying the turf war is probably coming no matter what, but you could be one of the guys that they still like and get along with if you play your cards right, and you could also protect your practice, right? So that's, that's kind of my two cents on that one. Now, what do I think will be the keys to making your practice really sturdy and secure during this coming stuff that I'm saying is true that's going to happen that's probably not that good. Um, okay? So I think the key, in my opinion, is going to be incorporating some higher profit procedures while maintaining those specialist relationships, kind of like I outlined just now, and fitting advanced services into your general practice. This is all assuming you have a general practice and not a specialty practice to begin with. Uh, I think that one of the the better ways that I've ever explained this is that program that I did with Dr. Willis last year. That, like I said, we actually defined what we called the four quadrants of dentistry. Okay. And here's what we said were the four quadrants. Number one, the mainstream quadrant. This is, you know, the regular old main street practice, doctor, hygienist, a couple of hygienists, not moving too fast, doing whatever the patients need. Patients love everybody. You love all the patients. It's a great way to practice. Uh, it's not as easy to make the income you want to make working that way, but there's still a lot of people who work that way, and they're reasonably happy, okay? Nothing in the world wrong with it. A great way to practice dentistry, kind of like the cottage industry we used to be 100 years ago. There's a lot of people think we should go back to that. That's a good way to practice. Um, but... What if we if we want to, let's say, instead of being kind of slow-paced, let's hire some more people, train everybody up, get some amazing systems in place, right? And uh, let's go for more of a high-capacity practice, okay? That's what I probably have done for the last decade. Uh, we're, we have a real good mainstream component, but we also have a high-capacity component. When we're doing a lot of that same-day dentistry, it's because we have more rooms, more staff uh, that I keep on payroll, even sometimes if we're slow, I know that when we're busy and patients really want to get stuff done, and I know that it's going to be hard to get them back in the practice, hey, we got that high-capacity aspect. We can just boom, boom, get it done, and we're still pretty much on time. It's one of, it's one of my big deals to be out of there by 5 o'clock, and I can count on one hand how many times I have to stay past 5 o'clock um, in a year because of that. Uh, now, another quadrant of dentistry is this advanced service quadrant right this is all the stuff we talked about the ortho the implants the sleep apnea just anything like that 
that's an advanced service that most people can't do. It takes extra training, extra equipment, and something that there's probably especially you're competing against to do. That's an advanced service, okay? And then the fourth quadrant that everybody wants to stay away from is the government quadrant. Uh, that's where you're working on a government program or for the government, and that's all you do is that super high volume, super low, um, you know, cost type dentistry. You know, that's that's what most people would love to avoid. Uh, and, and so we say there's four quadrants, and if you look at the three, the mainstream, the high capacity, and the advanced service, if you can take those three quad three quadrants of the four, mesh those together, you would really, that's like the Superman practice everybody would really like. That's the one that will stand up to these seven truths we talked about, and we call that the triple quad practice. And that's something, like I said, came up with that with Dr. Bob Willis. Uh, we had a lot of fun teaching that concept. And it, you know, that is the kind of practice everyone we think should be striving for if you're a general dentist. Um, there's another, now that's that's for solo guys. And I'm a big, by the way, a big, big advocate for the solo private practitioner. Okay, I really am. That's how I think we ought to practice. <laughs> I mean, I think it's as natural as it could be. Uh, there's another school of thought out there that you should be the owner dentist. You should hire like a flock of uh, young in-debt dentists to work under you. You're the manager. You're not doing quite as much of the dentistry. Uh, you're more of a marketer and a manager than you are a dentist. Uh, nothing wrong with that. If that's the way you want to go, I just think it's not the way that we probably should go. It just seems like that's just not right. So, you know, if you're looking for that kind of podcast, you probably need to hunt out another one that's more geared toward that because I just don't like it. Uh, I'm the guy. I'm your guy. If you're a solo, general, private practicing dentist, I'm your guy, right? I'm the hero for that group. Uh, Chris Griffin, third person, <laughs> you know, I'm joking. I'm not saying, I don't know why I use the word hero. I'm just saying, that's my jam. I like that. That's where I'm going to go stand. That's the group I'm going to hang with. I will do everything I can do to protect, uh, support, train, uh, inform that group of people. The owner dentist with the flock of the graduates under them running stuff, I can still love those guys, you know, uh, but not the way that I think dentistry probably ought to be practiced. You may you make a lot more money than me. That's fine. Go ahead. You can make a lot more money. That's totally cool. I'm just not your guy for that. Okay. I'm not going to ever teach you how to do that. I don't think, I don't think, I just don't think that way. I would rather have two or three days off every week to goof off than be worried about what my 10 other dent doctors that work under me need or are doing to you know alienate patients okay that's just that's my two cents i won't say anything else about that but that's just so you understand solo guys me team of doctors under an owner dentist somebody else okay but the triple quad practice that is doable that is doable and i'm not saying if you have a mainstream practice now the the main street kind of thing it doesn't matter. You want to add advanced services and just go like a two-quad practice, mainstream and advanced? Hey, nothing wrong with that. You want to go uh, mainstream high capacity like me? Hey, nothing wrong with that. Eventually, though, you probably need to try to add in all three of those, mainstream, advanced, and high capacity. If you can do that, you have a real opportunity, a real opportunity to blow the doors off and be the kind of dentist you probably always wanted to be, okay? All right, so, uh, hey, that's a wrap on season one, guys. That's a wrap. How do you, did you guys enjoy it? 
Okay, I, I hope you did. I enjoyed the heck out of delivering it. And uh, guess what? I have got a special opportunity for you, too, at the end of Season 1. Um, let me tell you about it. So, I have uh, long, and I'll tell you, for a long time, I have trained, uh, love, I've enjoyed training dental teams to be more systematic and, and be more geared toward um, a really highly efficient, very profitable style of practice that helps the owner dock out. It's like, we want dental teams that grow and develop and become a real help meet to the doctor of the practice. We want we want the, the two to support each other, but the, the real superstar teams, that's what I like developing, okay? So, along those lines, I have actually decided to have another workshop. You know, we had a big, huge events from 2012 to 2015. After 2015, I just said, you know, I've had it, big hotel fees, and I just, I'm just going to chill out. I'm just going to chill out. I don't really want to do that again. Uh, I really enjoyed the teaching, but I didn't enjoy organizing a big event. It's just too much. 200 plus people, too much. Uh, did not like that part. But you know what? Uh, back in 2010, did an awesome little workshop in Dallas, about 16 docs and their teams. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I thought, you know what? I want to do another event. I just like doing events, but I don't want to do a big one. So what do I need to do? So I have decided to do a team growth event like the best i'm hoping the best dental growth event in history right <laughs> but uh i was what i really want to do i want to i've got some really cool ideas and really cool techniques and some awesome blueprints i want to share with a, a select few dentists and their teams to help them get the most out of their price they possibly can and then it turns out that paradise actually had some openness for when i wanted to do the seminar so we're having this thing in paradise okay in paradise March 31st and April 1st. It's not an April Fool's joke. It's actually there in Paradise. Now, where, where's Paradise, you may be asking? Uh, Paradise, in my opinion, uh, at least for the southeast region of the United States, is in Sandestin, Florida. One of my favorite places on earth. Love the place, love the place, love the place. Can't get enough of Sandestin. That's where we're having our workshop. It's not a big deal. It's not going to be like huge. It's going to be a little intimate affair, uh, you know, dozen or so docs their teams we're actually calling it uh the beach seminar so it's a team beach weekend it's another name we've used uh if you want to check it out hey we would love to have you uh it's it's you need to go to beachseminar.com beachseminar.com you'll learn all about it i'm presenting this with uh, penny reed who used to be my old dental coach back about a decade ago and uh, after several years of being uh, partnered up with someone else, she's out on her own again. And, and, you know, we hooked up and, and talked about it and said, you know, we would love to do a project together. And she is, I'm telling you, she lit a fire under me and my team a decade ago that probably led us on a path where that's when I got so interested so that I actually started learning where I could teach other people too. So we're going to team up. We're going we're gonna to help this little select group of dentists and their teams become the best, most amazingly powerful, uh, fun office group that they could possibly be. That's Team Beach Weekend, beachseminar.com. Love to have you there. Love to have you there if you can. Um, if you can't, hey, we'll, we'll tell you how much fun it was after the fact. But if you can, you know, go there, register, call us if you got some questions, whatever. We'd love to have you. Okay, everybody. Well, that is it. 
that is it for season one. Uh, we will be back likely after the first of the year for season two. Not 100% sure about that. Guess what? That's why you have your own show, so you can set your own schedule, right? But that's about when it'll be, and uh, I cannot wait to get on that. Uh, you know, if we have something cool, I'll drop a special episode in between now and then. If not, we'll see you guys after then. Uh, don't leave me. Don't delete me off your uh, iPhones because we're coming right back. Guys, just leave me down there sort of hanging out. And then after the first, you'll get the notifications and boom, we'll be right back at it. And next year, I'm just going to give you a little preview. Next year, I'm going to try to make every episode a building block that you can add into your practice that helps you get more toward this triple quad practice like the advanced services and stuff. We've got some great speakers. Next year is going to be a lot more interview-based. Got some great speakers lined up. It's going to be super exciting. Don't delete us. Look forward to it. I will see you guys next time. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Dr. Chris Griffin Show. Be sure to visit drchrisgriffin.com for the latest resources and updates to keep you more productive every single day you're at the practice. So when you're not working, you can do the things that matter most in life. We look forward to having you join us for another episode of The Chris Griffin Show, where the doctor is always in. Always in.